It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down American loser the day I was born Hello, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. It is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. We're back over here. Back home, all right? We're at the Shared Universe Podcast Studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. Mike and Ming, you guys take great care of us every time we're here. Behind the ones and twos, of course, is the Big Kahuna. How are you feeling today, bud? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm excellent, man. It's uh, Now, uh, Larry is gone, all right? South Beach Larry. Yeah, he's all gone right? for this season. South Beach Larry <laughs> is enjoying himself. He's so funny, too, by the way, because you'd think when you're a snowbird, my father, who's normally on the podcast with us, you'd think that he would uh, be lounging down at a pool or something like that, but... I called him the other day. I said, hey, how's the weather? And he goes, oh, it's beautiful up here. Because uh, we had, what is it, negative three degrees wind chill the other day? Yeah. Probably. And he calls me. He goes, uh, goes, oh, it's beautiful down here, Kev. I said, where are you? And he goes, uh, I'm in the millwork aisle of the Home Depot in Pompano <laughs> Beach. <laughs> so so he's truly on vacation. It's classic Larry where um, you know, he's working on something in a, you know, inside the condo that they have down there. So he's not actually on vacation, but in his mind. Because if you don't give him something to do, he freaks out. So – that's what's happening. He's dealing with all that shit right now. My mother's in the you – know, she's having the time of her life. She's lounging poolside. But, uh, <laughs> she's so happy. She's yeah. probably happy because your father's not around. That's why. Oh, Joe. <laughs> Before you, you even got introduced, he disses your mom. <laughs> yeah, I hear you on that one. Well, uh, I'll tell you what because here's the thing. We had to bring on two guests for this one. I've been wanting to have both of these guys on the show. Two of my favorite comics. Two of my, Actually, two of my great pals to be honest as well. So I just happen to enjoy their comedy as well. Um, so we went ahead. We brought them in here to sub in for uh, old Larry. So South Beach Larry, you're out in this week. Hot well, Mark. I could be a Dilf of a father. <laughs> I have two kids. You are a Dilf of a father, actually, Mark Riccadonna. <laughs> One of my favorite comics, Mr. Mark Riccadonna, joins the show. Thank you for coming in, buddy. Thanks for having me. I'm a huge fan of the show. Uh, well, you've, you've been in since the beginning on this one. We've had a lot of phone calls of me trying to bounce this idea off of you. <laughs> and then uh, also a uh, neighborhood lowland gorilla extraordinaire. <laughs> <laughs> One of my best friends on the planet. Uh, a guy I truly love, man. I just worked with you last night, buddy. We had mm-hmm. a great time at that show uh, for the comedy shop. Mr. Joe Conti joins the show as well. And I apologize to your dad. That's okay. He uh, will not forgive you. I want you to know that. (laughs) Irish Alzheimer's means that uh, you forget everything except for the grudges. (laughs) (laughs) But holy shit, guys. All right, we got a kick-ass topic here today. But the first things first we have to talk about, um, we're looking for sponsorships for the show, right? So we need something that doesn't violate, right? When we got a theme song for the show, the theme song fits in perfectly. Love it. Robert Rolf Fedderson is that guy's name. He's amazing. Uh, and so cool about it every time I've emailed him. But uh, so that theme song fit in good with the show. Now we need a sponsor that's going to fit in good with the show. And uh, this is a call to action, all right, for you guys over at uh, Carton Brewing. We are enjoying right now Super Ego IPA India Pale Ale. 
Mark and I are enjoying two of them. Uh, Joe has to go drive for Uber or something after this. I don't know why you're not fucking. <laughs> <laughs> I got to drive an hour and a half home. Unlike you, I like to keep my license. That's also true. And then uh, uh, the Kahuna back there. <laughs> it's not a good idea to get your sound engineer drunk before the show. Just nah, nah. you're the one who had to correct me on that one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Carton Brewing, guys. If you want to become a sponsor of this show, here we will plug the shit out of your show. And uh, we're enjoying a Super Ego IPA. It is a 13 percent India Pale Ale. All right. I'm a fan. Yeah, it's a it's a one and done kind of a beer. But, yeah, uh, it's a pretty can. You know, I mean, it's nice. It's orange. Darren definitely. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, yeah. I saw it. I was. Gonna, it's I'm, nice. It's orange. <laughs> that could be their slogan. When did you ever see an you orange write beer? Ads. When did you ever see an orange beer? Never. That's why I was actually going to have one, but then I was like, nah. Whatever. <laughs> you should be in Mad Men right now. <laughs> it's orange. <laughs> Beautiful. Print it. Well, not for nothing, you guys. Uh, if Carton did want to know, if they were like, well, cool, I, I guess we understand you want our beer and our money for your show, but uh, what are you going to do for us? Very happy to announce, because of the success of the most recent episode, William Jennings Bryan, this podcast is now over 5,000 total listens. Yeah. That's pretty wild, so man. We are growing here, man. Those numbers are only going to keep going up because we're not a topical show. Right? No. I mean, we're topical, but we're not a current event show, I should yeah. say. So those are going to keep going up, man. So you guys are listening to the show. We love you. If you're just joining us right now, welcome. Check out the back catalog. Man, we got a lot of really good shit here. And we're going to continue the spirit of that with uh, one of the most fascinating topics we've talked about yet. And uh, it's tough because sometimes we do a person and we just do their biography. Sometimes we do an event, and sometimes we do a concept, right? So this is a topic of, of This sorts. one's a little of everything. It, it, it does mean it because you got the, the person of interest here who we're going to break down specifically, and then the incident he was involved with, and then the idea that kind of came from it. So I can't rank him on, rank it on the scale this time around. Now I'm all sad. He's going to be. Kahuna might just sit out on this one. No, because I, I, <laughs> I like your idea of the sliding scale because you have a guy like Charles J. Gateau who assassinated President Garfield, who's a complete whack job American loser. In, <laughs> like the definition. Yeah, he was Charles Manson before there was a Charles Manson. Right? <laughs> uh, and then the other ones that you have is uh, you have a guy like Dan Sickles who's technically a loser, but God, is he fascinating. So there's different it's, – it's not like a spectrum. It should be like that four-quadrant drawing, you know what I mean, like a diagram. And then the electric chair. <laughs> exactly. Well, now this one here comes in because this is a very sympathetic figure we're going to be talking about today here. It is still hotly debated. I'm like feeling sorry for people. Oh, what would you uh, do? It's, uh, you can't not feel sorry of this guy, but it's almost um, he's almost more of a legend because of it. So, uh, okay. the guy we're going to talk about today is Mr. Shoeless Joe Jackson. Yes. Now, I know, Mark, you've uh, you've actually watched a movie that was uh, based on him yeah, several eight times. Yeah, Men Out. Uh, I called my father <laughs> on the way in and told him that I was uh, doing a podcast on Shoeless Joe Jackson. He goes, well, you should be good at that one. You watched that movie, Eight Men Out, until it wore out the color in the video. <laughs> With a name like Shoeless Joe Jackson, I'm expecting a blues musician that just didn't make it. Like that's, that's kind of what it sounds like. There is a bleeding gums Murphy. Simpsons yeah, right. <laughs> Joe Conti, off the top of your head, do you know anything about this guy, Chewless Joe? Uh, just the usual uh, thing about you know the whole uh, World Series and you know. Okay. That our that, favorite thing here is, by the way, what we do is because Kahuna is a fan of the show, but he's the truest fan of the show in the sense that. He doesn't know what we're going to talk about before. I don't ever let him know ahead of time. Yeah, I figured I that like when that. he was he, See, he really didn't know. Yeah, so. No, I still don't know exactly like what this is. He yeah. thinks it's Michael Jackson's father hitting him with a shoe. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's <laughs> not. No, it's not. Oh, stepping out. <laughs> 
Uh, although Shoeless Joe did a lot of looking at the man in the mirror. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, so that's our favorite part, man, is watching uh, if we can make the kahuna's jaw drop. And we've had a couple of good ones recently, but uh, and he looks like a he looks like a youngster. So I'm sure there are certain things that you know that he would be like. Really, they had that. You know, well, like, it's thing, not even in that respect. It's more of just like still just real fascinating shit, and also the weird connections it has to Jersey. No matter how shoehorned in it is, <laughs> that There's and a great the, Jersey the, sh- yeah. great Jersey tie-in here. That We're throwing to Mark for that one too, by the way. That, but I don't think nothing will ever top Westinghouse, and then walking out to the elevator and it's saying Westinghouse for, <laughs> for the electric chair. Doing an electric chair episode, realizing <laughs> the guy who made the electric chair also made the elevator that brought us up to this floor <laughs> in the studio. <laughs> that was uncomfortable. We got some cool shit to talk about here today. Well, Kahuna's young, so he kind of has that thing where uh, he doesn't remember when the History Channel actually played history stuff. <laughs> he thinks the History Channel is just like a job fair. Oh, it's uh, it's American Pickers. That's yeah, great. we watch people mm-hmm. work. <laughs> Man, that show's great though. <laughs> but it's not history. I know, I know, I know. That was uh, always the crazy thing with um, South Beach Larry too. Is that uh, my Delph of a father, who is not here, like we discussed, he will come in from working outside in his garage, where he has to have a space heater on in the garage because it's so cold in the garage he can see his breath, and he'll come in, take off the multiple layers that he's wearing so that he can be working on his bandsaw out in the garage in the winter. Then sit down, make a sandwich, watch Ice Road Truckers, and go, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> like, I don't know how you do it, man. At least they're go- they got music or something. You're just standing in a cold garage by yourself. You got to get, like, the slow-mo shots and stuff. You got you to gotta just make it spectacular when it's, n- it's, when it's not spectacular at all. People who watch the History Channel now could actually uh, go out and get paid to do that. It's called being a supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> Truth be told, I haven't actually watched the, the the History Channel in so long. I didn't even know it was at the point where it wasn't really like that anymore. <laughs> it used to be like the hit because that's network. how I rem- the <laughs> did. Wait, the what network? The, the Hitler network. Twenty four seven. It was nonstop World War Two stuff. Yeah, History Channel with two S's. The Dictator um, Channel. <laughs> Learn how to take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Well, uh, like we were said earlier, it's not a current event show, but we're going to timestamp this one by talking about the current event that just came in here. I shoehorn in a lot of New York Giants references into this show because I absolutely love football and I love the New York Giants. But my favorite sport ever will always be baseball. I've had a, uh, to quote Billy Crystal, I've had a love affair with baseball uh, since I was a kid. 1994 is the year that I got obsessed with it. Now, 1994 was a short strike in the year that they had. But there was this guy that was coming out of nowhere uh, in the 1995 New York Yankees uh, that would then go on to become uh, the first man to ever, and this happened last week, be unanimously voted in to the Baseball Hall of Fame. All right? So that's the first guy to ever receive 100% of the vote, the first one of all time, greatest closer to ever play the game of baseball, Mariano Rivera. All right? So he just got into the Hall of Fame. Uh, unbelievable, absolutely deserves it, but the first guy to ever get all the baseball writers to agree on something. I think it's a little bit more than just them agreeing. I think it's now in the world we live in. I think because there's always one jackass who has to just go, 
uh, you know what, Mickey Mantle? No, I'm not voting him in, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but now, with social media and everything, they don't want to hear the backlash. And they will instantly just get destroyed. The people who... And, and, you know, because some of these writers are just real, you know, piles of dog shit. So, <laughs> you, you, you know, most of them never, ever touched a baseball before or even touched a bat. And so now they're just like, you know what, I'm just going to vote him in because I don't want three days of people just at mentioning me and destroying me. So I'm not taking away from Mariano. Yeah, you hear that, Mo Rivera? You ain't shit. Joe Conti doesn't think you're worth a damn, Mo Rivera. (laughs) Listen, as a Yankee hater, when I watched him, it was so frustrating because I would watch him and I'm like, he's got two pitches, people. Somebody hit this guy and you couldn't. That's how great he was. You knew what he was going to throw. You knew what he was going to throw every time and he just, you couldn't hit him. The day as douchey writers. I'm sorry, Mark. What are you saying? Oh, I was going to say the, uh, the our our topic of the day is also a, a major thing that people talk about because it our character of today is uh, one of the reasons that Pete Rose is having will probably never exactly see the Hall of Fame. Now, my theory on the Pete Rose thing being banned from the Hall for gambling on himself to win. Okay. Uh, there, there's that whole cra- uh, crazy thing there. How can it be the Hall if the greatest hitter of all time is not in it? Well, today we're going to talk about... And even better. Yeah, this is where it gets out of control, man. There is the MLB ineligible list. That is people who are banned for life from the sport of baseball. I don't know how I made that list. It's a <laughs> <laughs> well, it was either comics to watch or the MLB ineligible list. <laughs> Mark Riccadonna's on both, baby. <laughs> um, but yeah, pretty fascinating here. In 1919, this now marks the 100th anniversary this year of the Chicago Black Sox incident, all right, in which members of the 1919 team conspired to help fix the world. I'm sorry, the 1918 team uh, conspired to help fix the World Series. Okay, so we're talking about the World Series, the greatest event in sporting, especially at the time. I still love it. I get goosebumps every time they do it. There's history to it. Uh, we're coming up on Super it's Bowl week here. It's a legacy thing. It's, it's, not oh, like, it's important. Well, uh, now here's where the insanity comes in, is that uh, these guys, there was eight men, eight men that were accused, uh, all got together and conspired to throw the World Series. Why the hell would you ever want to do that? Well, now there's legal sports gambling in the state of New Jersey. And back then, it was all you know illegal kind of a thing. They literally put up signs that said no betting at the stadium. But everybody was betting in the stadium. There were bookies that would be sitting next to you at the end of your seat at the <laughs> row that you were in. You could come place a bet in between innings to see if the odds were changing. I mean, that's how commonplace it was. But uh, That's like living next door to a strip club. That is just fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> at least in my 20s, I would have thought that was amazing. <laughs> well, yeah, because now at your age, you uh, you just have to you know accept the fact that if you live next to a strip club, uh, you're just going to be covered in glitter all the time. Yeah, and I'll, a- be, I'll be calling the cops going, could you please tell them to keep it down? <laughs> I can't There's hear pour some my- sugar on me one more time. <laughs> Uh, holy hell. But uh, both stories we were talking about, like with Mo Rivera and uh, the Hall of Fame and that ineligible list and everything, it all kind of – one name's going to emerge when you start having this conversation. And I'm glad you bashed the writers because the writers can be ornery sons of bitches. They really can. Well, when you we're have talking to, about BuzzFeed here, right? Yeah, the, well, especially <laughs> the baseball writers too, which are – I mean there's not much difference between the, uh, BuzzFeed writers and uh, you know, a, a poor man's baseball writer. But the really good ones will sit there and they'll talk about this guy. And uh, our loser for this week – is a man by the name of Shoeless Joe Jackson, okay? He is on the MLB ineligible list. He's banned from the sport of baseball. He's dead, by the way, too. That's, how that, that's a lifetime ban that came on him. And I just thought it was interesting here because Shoeless Joe currently still holds the record for the third highest batting average in baseball history. 
And that but he's also, ineligible because of his bullshit. Oh yeah, we're gonna uh, get into it. It's even it's still up for debate what um, his involvement truly was with the whole Black Sox scandal, which is the guys who got together and conspired to throw the World Series. The uh, the, the thing about it is uh, uh, the Black Sox wasn't named the Black Sox because of they they threw the World Series exactly. and they tarnished their name. <laughs> they were called the Black Sox because the owner was too cheap to get their clothes washed. It's true. So they, they would rebel and wear dirty socks to the games and dirty uniforms. Um, also, now, you can have, in order to do that, you got to talk about the owner here because um, we're coming up on the Super Bowl. And there's a thing I wanted to unpack here first before I move on to that, the next point. But um, it's uh, just for some sort of a record here, the highest batting average of all time, number three, is our boy Shoeless Joe Jackson. Okay, That's num- number three of all time. That record still stands. Ahead of him is just two people. Uh, one of them is uh, Roger Hornsby, who's a Hall of Famer, okay? And the other one is Ty Cobb, Ty Cobb who right. might be considered the greatest ball player of all time. And Ty Cobb's favorite player, Shoeless, Shoeless Joe. Joe Jackson. Also, you know who uh, who borrowed his swing from Shoeless Joe Jackson? You want to talk about what a household name this guy was? Babe Ruth used to say that he would study Shoeless Joe's swing. And that that's why. So the guy who literally became known as the Sultan of Swat, who, who pretty much carried the sport of baseball up on his shoulders— Especially Saved baseball. Yeah, the, the guy – this scandal rocked the sport too, man. I mean there's always – it's like uh, every time there's a sport, uh, some sort of an incident. I remember in 94, they go on the strike and it's the millionaires versus the billionaires. And then the next storyline when the strike finally broke and everybody's bitching about it, like, oh, these damn athletes, they get paid too much, blah, blah, blah. Well, we're going to get into when they didn't get paid too much, first of all. And then we're also going to get into the fact that uh, the way that you do that, you have to find a symbol to rally around to get the sport back into prominence. And in 1994, it was all of a sudden it was like Cal Ripken is about to break the Ironman record for Lou Gehrig for most consecutive starts. And you're just talking about a guy and the passion these guys have for the game, and it's fucking beautiful, man. It's the stuff that puts you know your hairs on your arm stand up a little bit. But uh, just for uh, to give us when a curve. Your hair is Joe Conti. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to need some gel. Yeah, I that. have no chairs for my hairs, so they all have to stand. Yeah, Joe so. is Sicilian, which means that the first time I met him, uh, I was jumping up a series of uh, ladders uh, with a sledgehammer smashing the barrels he was throwing at me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually all of that without being Sicilian. I'm just regular old Italian, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Sorry for it's the factual error. Everything else was right. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much right on the money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, current people on the list for all-time highest uh, career batting averages, Jose Altuve and uh, Miguel Cabrera of the Detroit Tigers are 63 and 64. Those are two of the premier athletes in Major League Baseball right now that are still active, that are on the active list, and they're 63 and 64. That's how far back these guys are, and they've had years of careers. And they're still that far behind Shoeless Joe Jackson. Now, obviously, average is computed over time, so if Shoeless Joe had played more. But, I mean, it just – this record stands, man. It blows my fucking mind. Jackson hit for 408, all right, as a career average. And it was a career that was cut short by this lifetime ban that we're going to talk about. Yeah, he was peaking. He was. And he's the, like Ted Williams, where it's like at exactly. the peak, you pull him out. Yep, and then he's got to go shoot down uh, planes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Jackson – this is um, – this goes back to the thing we always talk about when it's uh, always these damn athletes get paid too much. Well, I mean, you're at the 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 genesis of the sport here in baseball. If people aren't going there for the popcorn. Nope, they're going there to see their heroes. Exactly, and these guys are fascinating people because uh, I always think back to uh, some of the New York Giants. They talk about um, the greatest game that was ever played. It was the Baltimore Col- Baltimore Colts versus the New York Giants. It's an old black and white film, and you sit there and you hear these guys, and you remember, you're like, oh wow, the Packers got their name. Because 
when it wasn't football season, they were working as meat packers. <laughs> like, there wasn't endorsement deals and all that other stuff. I mean, these guys had day jobs. It's most insane. Of them, most of them worked after they were done. They mm-hmm. had to go and they were tailors and butchers and whatever they had to do. I need Sunday off so I can go smash my brain into another guy's head. <laughs> yeah. But baseball's picking up steam. Uh, baseball's my favorite sport by far. It really is, man. And um, this Shoeless Joe guy, the humble beginning story that we, we – is the trope of every movie. I mean, holy shit, does this guy have one? Now, would you say that this guy is one of the most, like, infamous uh, baseball players? Well, his – um the it, it's almost uh, – he almost has a Greek tragic hero vibe to him where yeah. it's uh, – yeah, it's and and the saying "Say it ain't so, Joe" is about him. Yep, based and off of him on that. Also, really, off, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's some heartbreaking stuff here. We're going to talk, but we're going to do it in a lighthearted way too. And the story's fascinating. So, that being said, I'm going to dive into just his early life real quick to give us an idea of the dude we're talking about here. But uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson, just known as Joe Jackson back then, was uh, born to a sharecropping family down in South Carolina. You know what that means? They didn't have a whole lot of money. No. <laughs> That's what that meant here. Now, uh, Kahuna, we, we rip on you for being young a little bit. How old are you? I'm 23. 23? Okay. See, Still you actually, young. Let's yeah. make fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, at, uh, at age six, uh, old shoeless Joe had to go start working for a living. Age six, he got the nickname Linthead, which is a derogatory term for people that worked in a mill. All right? So his family needed the money. He had a big family, and he was working 12-hour shifts. <laughs> All right, <laughs> a six-year-old. Yeah, I've seen Kahuna on like his third podcast of the day, and he's just like, "Oh, we get it. Your show's blowing up. Uh, you need us to like and subscribe. We get it." <laughs> My four-year-old's playing with Thomas now. He's going to the mill next year. <laughs> Enjoy that now, son. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he would work these twelve-hour shifts, and he had absolutely no formal education because they couldn't afford to have him not working to bring income in for the family because they had a big family to provide for. So Jackson was actually illiterate his entire life. Now, this I thought was interesting. I'm sure you know this already, Mark. Um, one of the things that comes into the legal battle later on in his life is that he's not aware of some of the forms he's signing because he can't fucking read. And he can't write his own name. Can't write his own name. when it's, Sign? This is the craziest part. When, uh, when you go to a ball game, Kahuna, all right, and you bring a baseball and you want you see a player that you like, what are you going to ask him to do with the baseball? Sign the baseball. What if you can't write your own name? Just yep. put an Wait, X. do you just put an X? So he would learn how to – so now uh, baseball historians have to sit there, right, and they have to decide whether or not – because most of the time his wife would sign his name on his behalf, okay? So now you have this whole thing where it, a baseball is worth less by signed by Shoeless Joe Jackson. The autograph is worth less if they can prove it was done by the wife. So they have to compare the handwriting. And if you get one that's actually signed by Shoeless Joe – it jumps up like 80 times in value. I mean, that's insane shit here to sign your ex like Mark was saying. I mean, that's baffling shit. <laughs> and it was, his, it was his wife, not his ex-wife. Yeah. It's a <laughs> he should have just drawn a bare foot on the shoe. <laughs> just right on, the, right on the shoe. Beware wall. of the clap, Jimmy Durant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But uh, no, so Jackson was illiterate here. Uh, this was actually, I thought this was interesting as well, um, what he would do. Uh, when the team was going out and they were on the road games or whatever, if they were out at a restaurant, he couldn't read the menu in the restaurants they were in. So he would sit there and he'd – like if Joe couldn't read, if Joe Conti couldn't read, what if? It's, <laughs> I'm going hypothetically, huh? <laughs> yeah. So what we do, we come around the room, Kahuna orders, Mark orders, I order, and then Joe's like – Are you just assume I can read too? 
Oh, well, I know you can read for a fact. If, if I'm paying you to be a sound engineer for my podcast and you can't read, Listen, sir. Listen, there's just buttons to push here, man. <laughs> I've, I've just grown to know how to do that part. Oh I don't got to read nothing. It's like, the, it's like the sand pebbles in here. Live steam, dead steam. That's a reference <laughs> just for my dad. Kahuna thinks he has a Foo Fighter shirt on right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, shit. It's not Dave Pearl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was beautiful, Joe. But what, uh, what Shoeless Joe would do is that Shoeless Joe would wait until we were all done ordering, and then he would just order whatever we ordered as well. He was, I'll uh, have what Joe's eating. Yeah, so you can, no real dietary restrictions on that one. <laughs> Shoeless Joe team, was never going to say he was a vegan. Did his that. team pick up on that soon? Like, were they, do you, Can you imagine them all out to eat, and then they're like, after a couple of times, you're like, you never get your own thing. You always get whatever Buck Weaver's eating. <laughs> <laughs> well, was, uh, one thing was that uh, Shoeless Joe, was, he would struggle. Later on in life, uh, when he was finally making up to the majors, because he didn't like being in a big city. This is a country boy. Worked in a mill his whole life. He thought he was going to get made fun of for being a dumb country bumpkin who couldn't read or write. It was kind of a well-kept secret for a while with him. But uh, so only like the, his inner circle kind of really knew about it. They even had to – this is what a, 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 a non-city kid he was. In order to acquire him, uh, his entire family had to be moved with him to the city that he was in because he just did not want to come be he didn't want to do the geographical bachelor thing man which i totally understand but uh now here he is at uh in 1900 at age 13 jackson's mother receives an offer for joe to join the mills baseball team all right because baseball's got like a uh kind of a renegade attitude to it there's all these organizations it's like we talked about the history of boxing in here. There's no one preeminent boxing uh thing it's always the wbc or the wbo there's all these things so baseball is very much the same way at this time. You have the uh, the Mill League here in South Carolina. So he's given two fifty two dollars and fifty cents to play on Saturdays, which is seventy five dollars by the modern sense. Okay, so um, I'm not he's doing saying, better than comedians. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> it's not bad for a thirteen year old. You know what I mean? When you Think take of a thirteen out. year old, yeah, oh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> take gas out. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, so he goes ahead. He's out there playing, man. And you're right; he is doing better than most comics now that I'm realizing it. But uh, <laughs> he's probably funnier than most comics too. So. <laughs> well, With Shoeless a name Joe. like Shoeless Joe, I would hope you yeah. have to have a sense of humor at that point. Man. He's guitar act. Well, he uh, he started out actually as a uh, <laughs> he started out actually as a pitcher, which I found out. Oh. I was not aware of this one because uh, when we come to know him in the you know, the story, he's actually an outfielder. Yeah. But um, one of the great outfielders, a perfect fielding percentage in the World Series too, which we'll yeah. talk about. Uh, so he's the man, right? He's one of the, the blueprints for how to be a great uh, outfielder. The reason he got put in the outfield was because his fastball was so fast that when he hit a guy with a pitch, he broke the dude's arm. And nobody, everybody would refuse to stand in the batter's box against yeah. him. <laughs> I would just, if I was him, just bean batters the whole day. Shoeless Joe had a really fast ball. I mean, just, just imagine somebody you don't like. Imagine somebody you don't like and you're managing a baseball team. And the guy who's the loudest dude on the team comes up to the batter's box. You say, oh, uh, we're going to bring Joe in for this one. <laughs> and and Colin Vaughn. <laughs> Strike this motherfucker out, Ricky. <laughs> but uh, they go ahead. They bring him in, man. The incident forces him into the outfield. Uh, but the dude was already a star, man. Shoeless Joe. Yeah, he was a pitcher. Okay, yeah, he had a nice fastball. Yeah, he was a great outfielder. 
This dude was magic with a bat. He had he bat skills. He just play any position. You just put him on a baseball field. You just got to get him the three at bats a game, man, and he's going to change the entire outlook of the day. Damn. And did all the pitchers back then all hit? Like, it wasn't like pitchers didn't hit back then. It was just you were well, in the Babe lineup. Ruth originally was yes. a pitcher, too. Yeah, and uh, the designated hitter didn't come in until uh, the 70s. Until uh, you broke the arm of the batter. Yeah, cause. pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which gets a little bit crazy uh, there in and of itself. But um, the, uh, the bat that he had, he actually had um, this, uh, this special bat that was made for him uh, by a fan of the South Carolina Mill teams uh, in 1903. Uh, at age 15, he was given a bat known as Black Betsy. I love this story. All right. Black Betsy. This is a fantastic story, too, here for the bat. And jump in if I miss anything on this one, Mark. Um, but the uh, the bat was made out of uh, – it was a hickory tree, okay, that uh, the hickory wood was made specifically for Shoeless Joe, who was just a wonder to watch at bat, okay? And uh, he realized – the guy who was making this bat for him, he realized that uh, Joe had a preference for black bats, that he didn't like the regular wood cutting or something. Uh, so they actually stained it with tobacco juice. <laughs> okay, which I'm telling Conti this yesterday. He's we were addicted at the batting. It's a <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it should have been called Copenhagen. Right? It's a, just a guy pouring out his dip cup on top Smoking of smoking a giant bat. <laughs> we could have did that in high school. I, I realized it, 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 that's the whole thing because Joe had to it point out to me. That you could just take the tobacco leaves and rub them on the thing. So it was more of a rub on there. I'm sitting there thinking he's dunking it in a tank or something like that. In the spittoon? Yeah, like a giant <laughs> polar spring bottle. <laughs> Somebody's got their skull in. But uh, <laughs> but they go, they make this bat for him. And the bat becomes his favorite bat. It actually accompanies Jackson up to the majors until it is broken in 1911. Okay, the bat's broken in 1911. They send it off to a special place known for repairing bats. All right, they actually – so. It, when you hear uh, a broken bat single or whatever, that happens in baseball, I would say I would say once every three games there has to be a broken bat. I mean, Mo Rivera, who we were just talking about yeah, earlier. That he's he broke, yeah. The king of breaking a bat. Um, but uh, now this guy breaks this one particular bat, and they send it across the country to have it repaired so it can be sent back to Shoeless Joe. Via Pony Express. No shit. It was Pony Express? No, I don't know. Oh, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. I was going to say. Oh, man. He had that for how many years without breaking it? That's the thing. I mean, they just made – they had to have made them di- made them differently back then. You were also dealing with – because this is the um, this is the start of the modern era too because they always talk about the, uh, the dead ball, live ball era in baseball. So Shoeless Joe is – at the time, he's becoming – you know, the sport as we know it today is being played in Shoeless Joe's time. So – you this get- was pre-George Brett Pine Tar. <laughs> <laughs> I still watch that video every couple of months on YouTube. You just go up there and just watch him lose his shit. I love it. Oh, Great. it's beautiful. But um, So he goes ahead and uh, uh, he has that bat with him. It remains with him for the rest of his career. It was later sold for a record fifty. I'm sorry, $577,610,000 in 2001. I'll be honest. If I was really rich, I would have bought it. Shoeless Joe's bat, yeah, that would yeah. be that'd be one of them. Yeah. That'd be over the fireplace. I'd want uh, I'd want Mickey with Mantle's, Eddie Van Halen's uh, <laughs> guitar. I want to put it in the fireplace. <laughs> Just help out a little bit. It was cold that weekend. What I'd want Mickey Mantle's bottle opener. Is what <laughs> I would want. It'd be worn out. It ain't gonna pop up anything now. <laughs> it's just for looking through. It's but, the same bottle opener as Broadway Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so um, they go ahead. That was in 2001 that bat was sold for. Now, according to Jackson, because Kahuna thought we were talking about a blues singer here at first, here's how he got the nickname Shoeless Joe. All right. uh, He was wearing a pair of cleats, 
that were so tight that they gave his feet blisters during the game. That were bought for him. Mm-hmm. They were bought for him. Yeah. Okay, so he's running around the bases uh, in this thing. He's playing out in the field, and he's got blisters all over his feet and can't stand the feel of him anymore, and the blisters hurt so bad that his last at bat of the game, he bats uh, without shoes on, and when he's on the third baseline running, a fucking heckler, a heckler in the crowd screams out, you shoeless son of a gun. <laughs> now, there's three comedians in here. Um, can you imagine a heckler gets to decide what your nickname is <laughs> the rest of, for the rest of your life? Oh, great. So I'm known as Fat Fuck Rickadonna? <laughs> I'm known as Next Conti. Yeah. <laughs> Joey Next. <laughs> oh my God! It's a, yeah, man, it's a. Oh no! Can I get a baseball card with that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we're gonna have to have a mate at this point. But uh, yeah, no, it, it hurts, man. So American fat fuck Rickadonna. <laughs> I'm about it. <laughs> fat fuck Rickadonna. Next Conti and heads too big for his body, Burke. <laughs> Oh, man. But, yeah, imagine. So you get that nickname, and then it sticks. That's horrifying, all right? That's no good anywhere here. But, but uh, did he embrace it as time went on, or, like, did he hate being called Shoeless Joe Jackson? I think it's one of those because things where you hate the fair, nickname. now they have a museum named after him. <laughs> I mean... He is held I, in a good regard, man, because people love him. Um, I, I always think back to this. Uh, one of my best friends in the world is uh, Christopher Demarinus is his name. Um, but... Uh, he was standing next to a uh, dishwasher at a camp we all worked at in the summers when we were like 15, and it was the Hobart dishwasher. And uh, you know Hobart's a broad-shouldered kind of a guy, you know, big guy, and he's standing next to the thing working in the, the dishwasher. He goes, and somebody just goes, oh, look, it's a Hobart working a Hobart. <laughs> <laughs> On his wedding invitation last year, <laughs> he is still known as Christopher Hobart Demarinus. <laughs> his wife calls him Hobart. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good girl. Uh, she's a great chick, man. She's really fantastic. But uh, I can't wait to put the Kahuna on my wedding. In my it's gonna happen. Buddy. It's gonna happen. Now, the best part is you can just say during the day if anybody, if let's say the show ever picked up an audience, you could just introduce yourself as Christian if you don't want to get any sort of flack from it. So when we inevitably say something stupid and there's a you know people campaigning against the show and protesting outside against us, you can just say, "Oh, I'm Christian today. I'm not the Kahuna. I'm not the Kahuna. You have a conditional identity. He's upstairs." <laughs> Well, in uh, 1908 here, the Carolina Association, uh, which is who um, uh, our boy Shoeless Joe was playing with, uh, in 1908, he signs with the Philadelphia Athletics. Okay, so you got to go up to Philly. Now, you're a nice, quiet country son boy. son of a bitch. Yeah, he's a nice, quiet country boy from South Carolina. And now you got to go up to Philly. All right? Philly's always been rough, man. Always. We covered it with the Benedict Arnold episode. There were riots in the streets going on between loyalists and, uh, you know, uh, the Sons of Liberty. So Philly's a rough town to begin with. Now you're a nice, quiet kid from the South. You can't read or write, and you've got to go up to Philly where everybody's trying to you know, pull a fast one on you. Yeah, but everybody in Philly can't read or write either, so it's not a big deal. It's a, it's yeah, but it, it's a confidence issue for them. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. I moved from uh, nowhere, Ohio, to 
New York City at 17. Young, Youngstown, baby. Yes. Yeah, you should have been murdered in an alley. No, I'm thinking that. <laughs> he I made really it should have. He really should have. <laughs> there are a lot of people wondering how that didn't happen. <laughs> or why that didn't and happen. And they spent a lot of money. Yeah, Mark's, um, Mark's story and journey into comedy, for those listening, is uh, exactly similar to every porn star's. Um, <laughs> they leave their nice, quiet town thinking they're going to make it, and then they have to spend the rest of their career doing something they're ashamed of. <laughs> <laughs> the only difference is, is my parents are proud. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, our boy Shoeless Joe actually gets married. Uh, he marries a 15-year-old Katie Wynn. All right, so uh, Shoeless Joe's around the same. Uh, he's not too. Uh, he's not too much older than her, so it's not like it's a weird marriage, like the Edgar Allan Poe thing, where oh, he marries. That was like, yeah, yeah, where he marries uh, his uh, cousin that's half his age, and I was like, that's fucked up. That's weird. Um, but. Uh, He's actually struggling to adjust to the league here. Uh, when he plays minor league ball, he wins the batting title every season. That he's batting like uh, sometimes 400, but almost always above 300. And Man. Uh, so he's a monster, by Could the way. Could you imagine having a, a, a guy on your team doing that? Yeah, or, or just imagine the frustration of knowing that if you keep him in the minors, he's gold. But if you put him on the main stage, he freezes up. Oof. And that's terrifying, right? Oh, man. It's brutal. It's like, it, uh, I'll put it this way. Sometimes when I do a VFW show or something like that or a Knights of Columbus show, I'm like, we're having fun. I'm loose. It's a good time because these people just want to have fun here. Uh, you you put like one nice spotlight on me and I'm like, uh, um, you get to uh, the funny bone <laughs> and all of a sudden you lose your funny bone. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, now he, because of that, he actually, uh, the athletics in Philadelphia, they give up on this guy. And in 1910, he is traded to the Cleveland Naps. That was the name of the Indians. K-N-A-P-P-S? That's, is it with a K? <laughs> no, the NAPS, the N-A-P, the short for the Napoleons. Oh, okay. There's there's so much, so much about the history of <laughs> Cleveland's baseball team that should be an episode. The entire history of the Cleveland Indians to what they started to now, that should be your next episode. Well, they're fascinating, too, because there was um, there were some fires that took out uh, other teams. So that was for a while, the Cleveland Indians were the banner of the heartland. There's some really cool stuff I found in just reading on that one. I am completely unopposed to doing an entire episode on them, man. But Cleveland if thinks we, we do, on them too much. If we do, let's do it in Cleveland. Now we're talking. Kahuna, you feel like taking a trip, bud? Road trip? Why not? <laughs> I can make it happen. Uh, I'd be absolutely down with that too, man. Um, unfortunately, Cleveland's got a winning football team right now, or as close to a winning football team as they've had in a while. So uh, they're not well, quite – they're one in fourteen. It's uh well no because you got Baker Mayfield who's a who's a genius out there very fun to watch. But uh, <laughs> in nineteen ten he makes it out to the Cleveland Naps and like we said Joe he's got the name the name of the team is the Napoleons. Okay, could you imagine now Napoleon by the way dictator that ruled maybe within the last hundred years of when this you know franchise getting named that could you imagine if we sat there and we had the you know uh, Husseins yeah the Husseins or the uh, the you know the the, the Tokyo Montreal Mussolinis yeah the, the Tokyo <laughs> Bin Ladens <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he goes ahead he actually gets called up to the game uh, to the big uh, league now if you will he plays in uh, 20 games in the 1910 season bats 387 all right 387 for those that don't know if you're not a big sports fan or whatever if you're batting, let's say 400, that means four out of every 10 times you go to the plate, you get a hit. That it's is based on base. Whatever yes. the number is, the first two numbers, it's the percentage. And then the third number is like, if it's 365, you're batting 36.5%. You're hitting 36.5% every time. That's Well, that's we should say times. getting on base because a lot of these are, he's getting hits. They're just. 
Yeah, and also his, his on-base percentage is insane. We'll cover that one here in a second. Yeah, because a walk doesn't count as a hit, so it doesn't count to count as your uh, average. Your average, right. right. It doesn't affect it. It doesn't affect it, right. Um, now, just to try to give some context here for people who maybe aren't big baseball fans, or, or even if you are, I just think this is a good example. So uh, if every four out of ten at-bats goes well for you, if you're succeeding at your job four out of every ten times, you are the legendary shoeless Joe Jackson. If you're a comedian... And your only your set only works four out of every ten times. You're Mark Rickadon. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Ken Grant. <laughs> My buddy Ken. Oh, I'm sorry, pal. <laughs> I, I had a football coach uh, in high school who told me the three hardest things in sports to do is one, get a hole in one. That's the hardest thing you can do. Absolutely. Number two is bat above a 300 in a professional baseball uh, to to actually be able to hit a fastball, professional fastball. And third is to block over 50% as a lineman. Really? Yeah. I, I, ne- I never realized the third one. Wow, Dad, that makes sense. Offensive linemen are basically speed bumps to defensive linemen. Right. That's all they are. <laughs> <laughs> You're not allowed to do anything, but he's allowed to do anything he wants to you. Now protect the quarterback. <laughs> it, uh, it's crazy, too, with uh, just O-linemen, because you and I have had this conversation before where uh, that's the only position in sports where if people know your name, you're fucking up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so true. that's when we all, every New York Giants fan knew Eric Flowers' name in and out. But uh, <laughs> So uh, now he makes it up to the majors, plays in those 20 games. Uh, in his first full season the next year, he bats 408. 408. That means Somebody hasn't batted. Uh, over 400 in the major leagues, I think it's, what, 60 or 70 years? Maybe more? Because the last guy that flirted with it was uh, Tony Gwynn, I think. Really? Tony Gwynn George Brett. George Brett ended up 390. Uh, Now, I'm I'm asking something that probably, you know, it's ridiculous ass, but what was Derek Jeter's? His lifetime is over uh, over 300, rather. So, and he's considered one of the greats. Yeah, because he had a couple of seasons where he was batting 370-something. And but, he's considered one of the greats. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's how hard it is. Yeah, so what Chulis Joe is doing, he's already, he was a legend in the South Carolina Mill League. He was a, a troubled prospect, but still the fans were responding to him in the minor league system. Now he's finally arrived up here. And it looks like Cleveland's almost got a, Cleveland's got a winner, Mark. How do you feel about it? Are you uncomfortable I mean, with this? I don't know. They, I mean, between Cleveland and Cincinnati back in the early 1900s. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, uh, that we said uh, in the next year, he now leads the American League. Because right, uh, his first full season in the majors, bats 408 on uh, average. The only person that is doing better than him is fucking Ty Cobb guy. All right, He's doing pretty good. That's <laughs> a good guy to come in second to if you have to pick one. Uh, now, the next year, he leads the American League. All right, Shoeless Joe now leads the American League in hits, triples, and total bases. He also, there's a little uh, footnote in history, scored the first run in Old Tiger Stadium in Detroit. All right, Now, Old Tiger Stadium considered one of the most beautiful ballparks in America. And the reason why it was so beautiful, too, uh, the old-school design they had for it, it was actually used as um, – that's where they filmed the movie 61 about Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle chasing the uh, home run record. It was an HBO movie they made. Billy Crystal directed it. It was phenomenal. But that stadium was absolutely fantastic because it looked like old Yankee Stadium enough it, that they You know they what? Turned I didn't realize that. that. It did look like old Yankee Stadium, the short porch. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize that. I didn't see 61. I heard it was very good. Oh, it was excellent. But that first uh, at Tiger Stadium, that, uh, which is now Comerica Park, obviously, but uh, the old uh, Tiger Stadium, when they, did, they went ahead and they brought that up, um, that that was uh, the first run scored was by our boy Shoeless Joe. <laughs> now, in 1915, 
Shoeless Joe's completely on fire. This guy is a fucking star. Okay, there's nobody that can even come up with that here. And uh, it's actually fun because I, I can see what uh, Kahuna's pulling up now. We're getting close to uh, starting to bring that up as well. This is good stuff here. In 1915, he's traded from the Cleveland Naps to the Chicago White Sox. Jackson would hit 307 in the 1917 World Series, helping the White Sox defeat the New York Giants. All right? They beat the New York Giants, absolutely pummeled them. Uh, now, but this World Series is taking place against the backdrop. What's going on in the country around this time, 1917? World, it's World War, uh, World War I, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So now World War One's going on, and you got guys playing a game. All right. right? These are able-bodied seamen, guys who could be carrying rifles, and they're playing a game. But because, like you were saying, too, Ted Williams, at the height of his career, had to leave and go serve in the Army, uh, Jackson misses out on the 1918 season uh, because he's working in a shipyard due to World War One. All right. How crazy is this? Because then you got guys that are like uh, later in life. You get guys like uh, Frank Sinatra, who gets out of serving because he's famous, and they like just make up some, you know. Oh yeah, he has a he has a bone spurs, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you got guys like that who get out because they have money. But these baseball players who are amazing are actual American heroes. They go Absolutely. and actually serve while they're at the peak of their career in America's sport. They they also said, um, I found this out, they said that if Elvis hadn't have served in the military, um, his service to the country was considered uh, part of being a model citizen. So that what they did is that they ensured that uh, Elvis would never see combat because if Elvis died fighting for his country, that's like, oh, this is terrible. That would be a blow he couldn't recover from. So he's going to join, and then we'll give him a cushy job like the Signal Corps or something like that. <laughs> but uh, He had that, to load cotton balls. <laughs> <laughs> but just imagine that is that uh, – so we're all um, – if, if we went to a massive world war again, uh, all of us would be doing something in some way, shape, or form. KP, the you'd war be effort. the first going over. Oh, absolutely. No, I'd, I'd, be, you. I'd be boots on the ground. I couldn't wait to go back. I've been trying to die for the last three years. Uh, <laughs> I'd, be a, I'd be an actual bomb. Like, I'm that big. I'd, they uh, just drop me from a plane and just nuke a small town. That's not bad, buddy. Um, but no, I, I just always picture this because if we're all working in a shipyard together, all right, and we're building ships for the war effort. We're being badass. And then okay. you look over your shoulder and, Derek, it's, and Derek Jeter and Mark McGuire are working on the same project we're working on. Like, aren't you aren't, aren't you one of the greatest baseball players who ever lived? Can I buy you a beer? Yeah. <laughs> and then Don Mattingly comes by and he's the supervisor just looking at us. <laughs> Using his mustache as a broom. <laughs> <laughs> But that's the world these guys lived in, man. And it was uh, now uh, 1917. By the way, that is the second because we have to get into this here in a second. But uh, that's the second World Series won by the Chicago White Sox. White Sox are a proud organization. They got a lot of really cool stuff going on. Uh, somebody once told me uh, uh, that Paul Konerko, uh, a Polish kid, you know, was swinging a bat like he swings. That's that guy is designed to play on Southside Chicago for that proud Polish community that they have down there. So, White Sox are a great organization. But the way that we talk about the New York Yankees being the, the model franchise and how amazing they are and everything in the history and tradition of uh, putting on pinstripes, it almost happened to the White Sox first. Okay, because the White Sox. Kaminsky wasn't there. Kaminsky was a fantastic, uh, brilliant guy in terms of uh, how he approached things, but also a real son of a bitch when you look at it. Yeah. Charles Kaminsky was so popular in Chicago that they wanted him to run for mayor. They literally wanted him to be the mayor of the town, and all he did. He was a ball player. He was a, a ball club manager. And now he was a ball club owner because he owned the Chicago White Sox. 
guy. He was actually known that he said he could kill somebody in the streets and nobody would be upset. <laughs> Popular guy, man. They loved him. When they go ahead and they bring him in. Cough into the mic some more, Joe. Do me a favor. I'm sorry, yeah, you don't have a cough button in this place. <laughs> no, uh, uh, we actually have it. There's a cough button at Gas Digital Studios. I was recording a podcast there the other day and uh, I hit the cough button to cough and I was like, that is so cool. And then I talked for another 30 seconds and they go, hey, KP, you got to say all that over again. The cough button stuff. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, so um, Comiskey, fascinating guy here. He's telling everybody who will listen that he's going to go ahead and put together the greatest team ever assembled, and he's starting to do it. He's got some fucking killers coming through, man. So it's almost like a dream team is being assembled in Chicago here. But in order to have everything work, like the Patriots are in the Super Bowl here again, you have to have a great owner in Robert Kraft. You have to have an outstanding coach and general manager in Bill Belichick, the greatest coach of of all time in football, if you ask me. And then you have to have a quarterback that can make the system work. So all three things. They could only come up with that quarterback. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Petty. Petty, Marcus. Petty. (laughs) But beautiful. Um, So what's going on with Comiskey here is that Comiskey's putting together one of the best teams money can buy. He's got a great manager. He actually fires one of his managers and moves on a couple of times here. But he's got a great set of players, but the players fucking hate Comiskey. He's considered the most miserly owner in all of baseball. Everybody else would get... A $4 stipend for meals on the road. Comiskey, three. All right? Like Mark was saying earlier, he wouldn't pay for the laundry to get done for the uniform. You'd have to go home and do the laundry on your own time. So that's why they got called the Black Sox because they would play in dirty uniforms. So there's all this stuff going on. Do you know the uh, uh, Eddie Seacott? Do you have that in your notes? I do. This is the most petty Passive aggressive. This shows move. you how big of a dick he is. If, if you want to talk about, all right, when we talk about the idea of what these guys do, which we've covered it already, they throw the World Series. Why would you, playing a game you love, decide to fuck the game over? Because you don't want to hurt yourself. You don't want to hurt the fans. But if you can just, if you can hurt that motherfucker, if you can go after your boss, if you can have a stone cold Steve Austin, Vince McMahon moment. Yeah. Give your boss a stunner in the middle of the ring on Madison Square Garden. Uh, then you go ahead and you do it here. Now, this is one of the things that absolutely destroyed Comiskey's trust with his players. He was a cheap fuck. He told them if they won the pennant, they were all going to get a big raise, a big surprise, right? And uh, this guy's, uh, you know, big money, right? He owns the team. What was it, like a penny? He brings him in a flat case of champagne, all right? They bust out the champagne. It t- the, one of the guys said, it tastes just like piss. That was an exact quote about this guard. So this millionaire guy is going to give you a garbage case of flat champagne. Thanks for uh, winning the pennant for me, guys, by the way. Now, uh, Here's some it, piss champagne. Now, how does Eddie pronounce his last name? Is it Sycott? I thought it was Seacott. Seacott, That's just Cicott. because I watched Eight Men Out a billion times. No, I hear it because the, the, they called him Sycott on one of the ones I said. We'll call him Seacott on that one. But uh, our boy Fast Eddie, all right? Fast Eddie. Fast With Eddie. With the killer knuckleball. One of the greatest pitchers in all of baseball. Okay, one of the greatest pitchers in all of baseball. Um, he had a bonus that he was offered. A, uh, I believe it was a ten thousand dollar bonus, yeah. which would have, uh, if you adjust for inflation, is one hundred and fifty four thousand dollars for the time frame. He was told, if you win thirty games, I'll give you that bonus, and he wins twenty nine games and has two starts left in the season. Okay, they benched him for like two weeks. Yep, Comiskey benches him for the next two starts so that he can't hit the thirty. He goes, oh, I want to rest you for the postseason, you know. Com- and that's why he goes to him and says, I didn't get my bonus. And Kamitsky said to him, he goes, 29, it's not 30. Uh, and he goes, "I you benched me for two weeks. He goes, I needed to rest you for the playoffs. 
What a cheap son of a bitch. Are you serious? That's like, like that's cheap son of a 14 bitch. 14 games wow. he could have pitched. He could have won one of them. Also, that's where like the, the character type for Mr. Krabs comes from, from SpongeBob. <laughs> is that penny pinching motherfucker? <laughs> I get it now. Okay. And Kamitsky kind of looked like Mr. Krabs. He did, man. And uh, now here's the thing you had guys that loved playing the game, but now you're pissing these guys off. They're not getting paid. They're the best team in baseball, but they're not being paid like the best players that they are because Comiskey's so cheap and there's no free agency and you can't request trades really. You have to be traded by him and Comiskey was the end all be all. So you're literally playing for a tyrant. Okay. So what's one way you can hurt a tyrant, right? Uh, it's the same way on a job site. If we don't like the foreman, we break shit. You know what I mean? They will say, like, oh, sorry, I guess this thing broke. Oh, I guess we're not getting to that today. You know, there's little passive moves you can make here. But, uh, in the 1919 World series, series isn't passive-aggressive. It's aggressive-aggressive. And the way they pull it off, too, is almost beautiful. Uh, <laughs> in 1919 in the series, Jackson bats 351, a 351 average during the regular season. Okay, And now in the World Series that year, he hits 375. He actually ups his average in the postseason in the World Series and has perfect fielding. Okay, uh, There's no fly balls he doesn't shag down. He's, able, he's playing a good defensive game. He's trying to you know, get the ball back in place. So you can throw runners out. He is playing uh, at, the, at prime levels. Okay, And uh, that is very important for the second part of this story here because our boy Shoeless Joe, uh, the numbers don't lie, man. He played his fucking heart out for this series. But the heavily favored Chicago White Sox uh, lost the series against the Cincinnati Reds. And people start saying there were rumors already before the series even started that the fix was in, okay? Because there were certain players that started going after things. In 1920, by the way, Jackson bats 382. This is the year after that World Series incident. And he leads the American League in triples until he is suspended and never plays another game of professional baseball his entire life after that suspension, okay? That leads to his lifetime ban with the rest of the uh, the infamous Chicago guys from the Black Sox scandal. Um we're talking about the players, coaches, dynasty, all that other stuff, man. Comiskey's a real son of a bitch. Comiskey, uh, Joe is only being paid uh, roughly $90,000 a year adjusted for inflation. I, I mean, we're all comics, so none of us make that kind of money. <laughs> but $90,000 a year is nothing to shake your fist at right now. Uh, back then, it, uh, I mean, but it's still low for a baseball player. We're jealous of that, but a ball player is like, I can't afford to live this way. <laughs> So he's not making the money he could be making over here. Kamitsky's a real son of a bitch because he's so stingy in the absence of well, free and agency. Kamitsky's not paying for their – it's not like they have this cush job that when they're traveling and doing stuff, Kamitsky's picking up the tab. Nope. Real cheap son of a bitch. Like we said, the $3 stipend instead of uh, the league-wide four. Now, your boy Eddie Sycott, we talked about him, man. These guys finally have what we would refer to as an axe to grind. All right? <laughs> So now you come in, you got the Chicago Black Sox, first baseman Chick Gandel, all right? Chick Gandel, who was a son of a bitch, by the way. He was like a professional boxer. He was a boxer in the offseason, so you'd fight him, and then he'd play a good first base for you during baseball <laughs> season. <laughs> so needless to say, he didn't need the glove. No. And if, you, <laughs> and if you look at a photo of Chick Gandel, G-A-N-D-I-L, he looks like a, a serial felon. killer. Yeah, if you, just, if you told He's me... He's a felon. If you told me he ate his parents, I'd just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, he speaks. Oh my to, God! Yep. Chick Gandel. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he's the one who uh, 
because of his uh, contacts with Bill Burns. Yep. Bill Burns gets involved and a guy by the name of Joe Sport Sullivan. All right. Imagine <laughs> having that as a nickname, Sport Sullivan. He should be wearing a white jacket with the <laughs> sleeves kind of rolled up. Ah, they call me Sport, you say? <laughs> <laughs> always, we- always wearing the fucking no-sleeve shirts. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and Chick Gandle is just mean mugging son of a bitch. And he's pissed off, right? Uh, he was being uh, – he was highly recruited but underpaid, just like a lot of the other guys, like Buck Weaver, the best third baseman in all of baseball. Buck Weaver was another one who liked Shoeless Joe. If you look at his stats – I don't think he threw the series. Buck Weaver, uh, well, later on, because we're going to have to talk about the conspiracy here to then talk about the people that drop out, which is it gets a little – because it gets goofy for a second, man. Because I know we like to insult and talk about and mock the idea of uh, the mainstream media being the enemy of the people. But they got a lot of shit wrong with this story and they got a lot of shit wrong in other stuff we've covered on other episodes like the Richard Hauptman thing. When they can print stuff – and the public buys it up and eats it up as truth, then you almost have to go with the legend because the legend is now more popular than the reality. And that's where Shoeless Joe got buried for a while. That if well, we had... same with Buck Weaver. Mm-hmm. And I think he... So he got buried because of a legend, not even the fact. Uh, Shoeless Joe is the most uh, sympathetic here, but Buck Weaver's crazy because when they start this conspiracy here, because Chuck, uh, Chick Gandle meets with uh, Joe Sport Sullivan and they conspire to throw the World Series, originally, Buck Weaver's in on the plot. Then he decides, he goes, guys, I don't want to be a part of this. I'm, I'm out. In the early stage, he goes, I'm out. I'm going to play. So Buck Weaver, is, he just didn't rat on his friends. That's he didn't take a dollar, and he played amazing baseball the entire series. And, got yeah. ra- and still got railroaded. Never got a dollar. Lifetime ban. And he spent his entire rest of his life trying to get back into the good graces of Major League Baseball. Like, even after he was too old to play, he yep. was still fighting to In go. an era of ha- of being a rat, he didn't want to be a rat. Like, you, like you know what I mean by that, right? Because back then, if you were a rat, like, no one wanted to be around you. Like, it was coward. It yeah. was still exactly. coward. And, and you're going to rat on your friends and what kind yeah. of situation. So you're just going to say, guys, you do what you have to do. I'm going to play it because baseball is an individual sport disguised as a team effort. Yeah. All right. So that's true. You can still put up the good numbers. <laughs> you can't call a game and not have everybody complicit in it for a football or something like that. You know what I mean? So Buck Weaver should get honorable mention as oh, an American. We're going to vindicate him as we go here. Wait too, a minute, Kaminsky's in the Baseball Hall of Fame? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That was actually a special vote to put him in too. By the way, that son of a bitch. Fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he also knew that if he if the team got busted. If the team got busted for throwing the series, that it would tarnish his name for being a bad owner. So he backed his boys even though he knew they threw the series. You talk about him being a stingy guy. The only time he spent money on his players was to hire the top attorneys to defend them to preserve his own legacy. <laughs> so This guy's a dick. Oh. Comiskey's a dick. That's very fair to say here. Now, um, he had Comiskey Park built, though, so that's the, the stadium that they're all playing in here. And he fielded one of the best teams in all of baseball. Now, that being said, they've already won uh, two World Series for him, right? One of them was uh, a big guy who helped him with that, was uh, our boy Shoeless Joe. But uh, now because of the absence of free agents, like we said, he's got all these guys all pissed off here. You pissed off Eddie Sycott. You've pissed off Buck Weaver, uh, who's angry but not angry enough to go ahead and get involved with the thing. Now, they say that when you want to throw the sport of baseball, you don't need to bribe the players. You just got to bribe the pitchers. Okay, if you can bribe because the pitchers are the general on field. That's the guy everything has to flow through with him. So they go ahead. You get Eddie Sycott, who's your number one starter. You get him. Then you get uh, what was it, Lefty Williams? Lefty Williams. Lefty Williams is the number two starter. 
who is a curveball thrower who all of a sudden in the World Series can't throw to save his life. Okay, so that that was a whole thing that where they were able to kind of pinpoint his involvement. Was it Eddie Sycott or Lefty that like basically threw a perfect game and then just had uh, like one hit <laughs> that ended up winning? It, it gets so ridiculous here, Joe, because back in the day, because right now baseball is a best of seven. Back for this series, it was a best of nine. So, and oh. on top of this was uh, this was in an era when these guys would um, that so the the, the pitchers the, I can't remember the name because uh, I didn't. Well, I've got all the names. So okay, yeah. No, we'll uh, we'll happen in that. Was one. it Dickie Kerr? Was the other pitcher? There's a but yeah, because there's a couple interesting things here. Because now Joe Sports Sullivan, uh, in order to get the uh, the money in order to actually uh, acquire the money to pay off the players to throw the World Series, which would be extremely lucrative, you have to go out there and you have to get enough guys involved that you can guarantee that the fix is going to be in. So Eddie Sycott now is on board. Lefty Williams is on board. The shortstop, Swede Risberg. That's a great nickname. <laughs> you want to talk about a great baseball Sweet. name too, Joe? All right, Joe, uh, <laughs> Joe Next Conti. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's name is Happy Felsch. Happy Felch. Happy Felch. That's yep. awesome. So that's his name. Now, third baseman, Buck they Weaver. They should change it to Happy Felch. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a terrible law firm. <laughs> now, as we talked about, too, the third baseman, Buck Weaver, was cut in before pulling out, all right? And he doesn't want in on the thing at all. He goes in, like Mark said, plays brilliant baseball the whole time. He really gets railroaded. Now, you want to talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, I, I believe it was a utility infielder, Fred McMillan was just walking by and overheard the guys talking about throwing the World Series. He goes, hey, what are you guys talking about? Oh, shit, am I in a conspiracy now? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I didn't have time for this. But they meet they meet in a New York hotel, and it's very important that we say New York here because um, you got to sell something, you need a big name attached, right? Mark's trying to sell a TV show right now. You know, he's got to have a big name attached so you can have the star and all that other stuff. Um, so the big name you're going to have to attach to this in order to sell it. Yeah, we got Shoeless Joe Jackson, the Babe Ruth of his day, if you will. Shoeless Joe's in on this, you know? So that's how they're trying to sell this to any gambler that'll pay them. So they're selling the fixing of the World Series to multiple different agencies, okay? Multiple different guys who are going to say, hey, the fix is in, by the way. So the guy who winds up bankrolling it is essentially the Jewish mafia's king of New York at the time, Arnold fucking Rothstein. Arnold Rothstein has a quote that said, the only thing he won't bet on is the weather because you can't fix it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, he is a fantastic uh, character. But um, Arnold Rothstein's nicknames are The Brain and uh, The uh, the Big Bankroll is what they used to call him. So he went ahead and he set everything up here. Uh, he is uh, he never is officially actually convicted of involvement in this. But there's a quote in Godfather Part 2 when uh, Michael Corleone is meeting with Hyman Roth and Hyman Roth, the Jewish gangster, in, uh, the, the protagonist, if you will, of um, – or the antagonist rather – of uh, Godfather Part Two, he goes. I've loved baseball ever since 1920 when uh, Arnold Rothstein fixed the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> so it's definitely a thing that's in there, man. They actually talk about it. It's a small subplot in I think season two of uh, Boardwalk Empire that the guy who plays Arnold Rothstein just a fantastic job on that show, man. But uh, you get all these guys involved now. Rothstein's floating the bill because you know you know that you're going to get paid now. All right. Did you do an episode on Rothstein? Because he has an interesting... He falls in very much so with the Prohibition, which our friend Nick Franco, by the way. Nick, I did get your messages, buddy. I am going to get back to you. I've had a brutal road weekend here lately. Uh, we are going to do our series on Prohibition. We're going to hopefully have beer sponsors by then. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Fred McMillan gets cut in on the conspiracy now. All these guys are involved here. you got two of the starting pitchers. you got a couple of position players. Shoeless Joe is approached 
but he never actually went to any of the meetings. All the players admit later on that Shoeless Joe never attended any of the meetings here. So, But they're using his star power to sell the conspiracy. Oh, yeah, by the way, Shoeless Joe is going to throw the game. So if the star of the team is not going to play his heart out, oh, I can't wait to bet on Cincinnati then. The be- if LeBron James isn't playing, all right, I'm going to go ahead and bet the you know, – I'm going to bet the visitor every time on that one, man. But they say that uh, finally what winds up happening is Shoeless Joe refuses to be a part of it, okay? Supposedly, he also even tries to get a meeting with Comiskey to tell him that something's going on here, but Comiskey won't meet with him because he doesn't want to deal with the player's bullshit. Because he thinks he's asking for money. Mm -hmm. And they also – that was the other thing. That's a great point. Um, The other part of it too is that uh, he is uh, defended by the team's attorney, which is a clear conflict of interest. And then they also get Shoeless Joe to wind up signing forms for his legal defense against the whole conspiracy thing when he's trying to put the truth out there and you know maintain his innocence, try to maybe play baseball again. He is illiterate. He doesn't know what the fuck he's signing. Right, right. So, <laughs> so it just gets bizarre real fast here, man. Now, uh, Chick Gandel goes ahead and he, uh, he assembles all these guys here. Uh, Shoeless Joe is approached. Eddie Sycott actually winds up throwing the money because he refuses the bribe money twice. This is according to the, the true story between um, the interactions of the guys. Uh, Shoeless Joe's never at any meetings, and uh, he refuses the $5,000 bribe twice. Finally, Eddie Sycott throws the money on the floor of his hotel room and just walks out. All right, That's literally someone throwing double your salary on the floor and just walking out and saying, you know, so uh, Shoeless Joe has always maintained that he was an unwilling participant in this. Well, another thing, too, that is interesting of why like the listeners might be going like, well, why don't they just ask to get traded or get out of there? Back then, the owners owned the players. It was essentially slavery. Yeah. That's really it. That's a, no free agency whatsoever, and uh, the end-all, be-all was always done by the owners. It wasn't like the, the guys from the team could go, well, you know what? Let's talk to the Reds. Maybe we could play for them next year. Garbage. Wouldn't happen without Kamitsky letting them. So when you bitch about free agency, just realize that these guys literally had their lives ruined trying to you know, just have some semblance of justice bestowed upon old cheapskate Comiskey. <laughs> As uh, Chick Gandle assembled recruits, the money had to be raised. Enter into uh, Mr. Arnold Rothstein, like we were talking about, the kingpin of the Jewish mafia, who, when testifying, because he was brought forth to testify in the trial here, uh, and he said, uh, this is one of the greatest testimonies I've ever heard when you're being brought in for your involvement in a conspiracy, a criminal conspiracy, to throw the World Series. He goes, of course it was fixed. I had no part in it, but of course the World Series was fixed. (laughs) They offered it to me. They wanted me to do it, but I just said no. I wasn't interested, but of course it was fixed. This team was so good that even when they were throwing it, they had to, like, overdo it and make it obvious because it was like they had to, like – stutter step and like purposely throw the ball way over someone's head because it's like even us playing at half speed were better than the Reds. Wow. Well, uh, now Rothstein, uh, he had actually, he one of the reasons they always knew he was involved, on paper he only won $350,000 betting the Reds, right? But it's that thing we were saying where they sold the bet to so many people that Rothstein had, like, oh, well, I got 10% of this bet here and 10%. So he made a shitload of money yeah. off of this because he knew the fix was in. People, it was almost general knowledge that the White Sox were going to throw this thing. They were heavily favored. So now all of a sudden, like Mark was saying, they have to play garbage baseball. And there's a quote in the paper, too, that they said, uh, nah, never have we seen a pennant-winning team get off to a more dismal start than after the first two games of the, the World Series this year. Like we said, it was a best of nine. Eddie Sycott 
throws a perfect first pitch for the first pitch of the first game of that World Series. Throws a perfect pitch right down the middle. The next pitch, he hits the guy in the bat, intentionally hits him. Okay, That's a signal in Chicago back to New York to Arnold Rothstein to let Mr. Rothstein know we're going to be good boys. The fix is in. All right, But he had to throw the perfect first pitch to let everyone know. Right. We could kill these guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. I could destroy you, and now I'm going to hit you with a pitch. And you're lucky Shoeless Joe isn't on the mound because he would have broke your arm. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, uh, Eddie Sycott, like we were saying, he hits that first pitcher. They have an awful first two games. Sycott and Lefty can't fucking seem to, to – you know, all of a sudden these killers in the regular season can't seem to locate pitches. Uh, Lefty is now a, a curveball pitcher who is just sailing him right over home plate. And they're getting battered. They're getting beat up here. But people are starting to notice a little bit. Now, the very peculiar thing here, this is how good this team was because Mark talked about it, and it's like we can't repeat it enough. These are the Yankees before there's Yankees, okay? The potential to have the Chicago White Sox be the most important franchise in sports is here, and it's on the line. But they go ahead and they lose. Uh, They're losing uh, the first couple of games here. Now, the guy who was – and I, I feel so dumb for not remembering the guy's name. But he was a, uh, uh, I think the fourth starter, the third or fourth starter. Dickie Kerr. Yes, Dickie Kerr pitched two of the greatest games in the history of baseball, and he wasn't in on the fix at all. Two of the great. He just he's out there just twirling gems, and they're like, "Fuck, man, we can't even lose right." <laughs> <laughs> the players in the field are going. He's going to throw a perfect game. Yeah, There's the no way for us to throw this. Yeah, the shortstop's in on it, so all the shortstop has to do is bobble the ball a little bit and maybe not get the throw off to first in time. But if you're striking everybody out, <laughs> if the ball never comes towards you, 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 you're literally taking guys trying to lose a game and you're making them ineffective. Who was the second you- baseman? The second baseman wasn't in on it, and he was a uh, very valuable player. Yeah, well, he actually had a, a couple of uh, uh, bad moments as well, too, man. But the the key being the shortstop there, because that's the the hot spot, if you will, not yeah. the hot corner being third base. It's one but, of the uh, best you, positions. Yeah, right? so the shortstop, that's the guy that can get away with. Oh, well, it came too fast at me, kind of a thing. Can you imagine that game from those guys' perspectives, though? Like they they know they have to try and lose, and not everyone's in on it, so they can't go like what. The- they gotta go, <laughs> yeah. they gotta look at each other like with the wide eyes like come on great man job, like, yeah, man. great job like great great times man like they still have having to a pretend cl- they're happy but they know the mob's watching yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're just clapping going, way to be you piece of shit I'm <laughs> probably gonna get killed after the game because of you <laughs> can you can you imagine the, the the box where they're all hanging out and they're all clapping and like one of them is just like you son of a bitch you fucking assholes <laughs> you <laughs> fucking dicks no. thanks for ruining this now, here's the craziest part, too. The money that they're supposed to be getting is supposed to come in installments. They're going to get paid a certain amount after each loss in order to guarantee the loss. Uh, the money's not showing up. So these guys are throwing the World Series, possibly ruining their careers, ruining a dynasty, right? They're supposed to be world champions. You still get paid. You know, they're still honoring being a World Series champion. But, but they'd rather be paid Right, unhonored. <laughs> but the money's not coming, so now you're taking the money now aspect out of it. So they literally they sit there and they say, you know what, fuck this man, and uh, they refuse to be a part of the fix. The dirty players are now against it. They say we're done. We're playing the rest of this thing on the up and up. Now wow, what dumbasses! You can't do. You can't just switch roles in the middle against of the, the mob <laughs> in the middle of. The- now it's already oh four God. to one. The series is four to one here at this point. And this is fantastic too. Uh, in favor of the Reds, the uh, the underdog Reds are now four to one in the driver's seat. Uh, now Eddie Sycott winds up pitching a game, right? His second appearance, he pitches like Mark was saying earlier, a borderline perfect game for five innings, 
and then all of a sudden just starts to like lob it right over, you know, like 70 mile an hour fastballs, just to make sure that he still does his part to make sure the fix is in, but to also showcase just how fucking good of a pitcher Eddie Sycott was. So yeah. now also we're uh, Chulis Joe and Buck Weaver still playing the game normally, like they weren't in on it, or was right? Chulis Joe's play is perfect. Buck Weaver's play is perfect. So these guys are all. That's why it's it's insane that this even happens here. But they're down four to one. The guys decide the fix is no longer in because they're not getting paid. And they then win the next two games, 5-4 to four and 4-1. to one. They beat the shit out of the Reds on both these. It's not even close. <laughs> Shoeless Joe was a perfect fielder and had 12 base hits. This is a record that stood until 1964, 12 base hits in a World Series. That's fucking unparalleled or unprecedented, really. Now, that also makes his claims that he's not in on the fix even more substantiated. The players later on would testify in that grand jury uh, indictment that they had. They would later uh, testify to the fact that the mob threatened the players for trying to back out of the deal at the last minute. Yeah, but they, the players didn't really have any leverage on their side, so they just tried to back out of the deal with nothing, they act, with yeah. no weight to it. Of course, they're getting threatened. <laughs> was it uh, was it Eddie Sycott or was it Shoeless Joe's? They actually put mob guys sitting next to her. I think it was Eddie Sycott that he had. Um, he was told that his wife was going to be torn to pieces, kind of a thing. Yeah, they Jesus were going to cry. Yeah. Now, the mob threatened the players and the families, and Game 8 was lost 10-5. to 5, Okay? That was lost 10-5 to 5, Game 8. It's a best-of-nine series, but it's if the fix is in, it shouldn't go to 8. <laughs> um, they lost 10-5, to 5, giving Cincinnati its first World Series. Cincinnati, congratulations, you filthy pieces of shit. All right? <laughs> you shouldn't be proud of that World Series. It was thrown. It's you won tinted. to a team that yeah, it's almost <laughs> everyone is trying to lose, and you still didn't win all out. Well, now here's the uh, the craziest part of that whole story, is that um, it kind of gets swept under the rug. People knew that the fix was in here, right? So they go ahead, they move on, they go play to the next season of baseball, and everybody's instantly talking about how the White Sox are going to go back to the World Series. They're the heavy favorite to go back to the American League pennant. Like I said, it's the Yankees before the Yankees. They're that. Wasn't good. there only like eight teams in each division in each league? Oh, it definitely time? wasn't. There's no Tampa Bay at this time. I guarantee right, you right, that. Right. Also, I want to realize. I just realized something that's really funny. Can you imagine like some sort of like discussion where all of these teams are talking about the fix and the team that you just talked about who lost still to the team trying to lose was like, well, we beat them. They were still we tried to beat them. No, you still lost. You were still the <laughs> shitty team. You couldn't even beat the team that was trying to lose. That's amazing. That is so bad. I love it. <laughs> Any game that the Reds won, you know, they were like, yeah, we got them. And they're like, yeah, they were. But the they White were, Sox are trying to they're, lose. They're trying to lose here. <laughs> it's like, like shut up, team. Like, go, go back to your corner. <laughs> I like to think about that, too, though, Kahuna, because there's the aspect of it where it's, um, ah, yeah, you know, we played, the, we, we played the Chicago White Sox once. Yeah, the fix was in. They were intentionally losing. Oh, my God. How was it? It was close. <laughs> but uh, They almost didn't pull through. You mean <laughs> You mean they were fixed and you still lost? Yeah. You go home. This is the part Interviews where that sympathy over. starts to queue up though, man. Um, now uh, as soon as these guys get suspended, all right, because there was a game with the Chicago Cubs that was completely um, fixed, and that game caught national attention. So now they're like, Oh well what about that's a regular season game. Didn't last year wasn't there rumors that the White Sox were in on the payroll and that they were a part of uh, fixing the World Series and Arnold Ross? You know, everybody knows this, but baseball is trying to sweep underneath the rug. Specifically, Comiskey doesn't want it brought in there because now he's got the potential future you know, for the franchise of franchises 
and they're sitting there and they're, they're telling like, oh yeah, no, everything's fine, guys. Uh, pay no attention. My to boys would never do something like that. We <laughs> just had an unfortunate event. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's cross-cutting with scenes of him fucking helping his teams. Like, this is how we're going to avoid this situation. Well, uh, what winds up happening, actually, is that uh, Eddie Sycott gets called in for uh, a testimony, if you will. And he's uh, it's before a grand jury. and he winds Wait, up- did they go to a grand jury, or is this when they decided they were going to make a baseball, uh, a, uh, have a commissioner? Well, the commissioner actually comes, comes in. Later. It comes in as a response to this. Okay. Because, okay. Like I'm we were sorry. Saying, I didn't no, no mean problem. to jump ahead. No, no. You're I didn't know which was which. No, you're excellent on that one, buddy. You know that. Um, what winds up happening is that this grand jury thing is coming in here because uh, they're freaked out about the integrity of the game. It's the same thing that happened in the steroid era. As soon as the steroid era happened, what do we start focusing on? Derek Jeter loves playing the game. Mo Rivera is the greatest closer of all time because you had to get away from the Bonds and the Maguires and the Sosas, who also really helped save baseball in a lot of ways too. So there, there's a lot of sides to that coin in the argument. But um, they're trying to keep they're almost it clean. two different arguments, right. in, in a sense. Oh yeah, and it gets crazy too. I didn't they, know which the order was. So the 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 law came in first, and then they brought in to try to save baseball. Or well, the guy they bring in baseball. is the first commissioner of baseball. Kennesaw Mountain Landis is this He's guy's an name. asshole. Yeah, if you take a look at him, Kahuna, this man will scare you. I was writing this episode last night, and I now had to— Now, what's the name? Uh, Kennesaw, Kennesaw Mountain Landis. Mountain. He's going to pop up right away, yep. What a great nickname. Conti, that could have been your second nickname. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, uh, he's got this eyes. This is the actual Grim Reaper. Yeah, he has <laughs> eyes that look like they're following you around the room, like the old Scooby-Doo cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, it's the general from the one of the like older Scooby-Doo episodes. General Beauregard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he looks like he like he would be in the, uh, you know, and you, ma'am, are a witch. <laughs> <laughs> He's Hanger. The, he's the first accuser. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what winds up happening? A great reference too, by the way, Cahoons. Um, but uh, Kennesaw Mountain Landis. Uh, now he is brought in as the first baseball commissioner. This is the first time they're deciding that the league has to have this. By the way, what you do, and is his great great grandson later goes on to direct Blues Brothers. Close. <laughs> um, not, not, not too far off, man. Um, what winds up happening that's crazy here with Kennesaw Mountain Landis is that he's brought in as the first commissioner of baseball. Now, when he's brought in as that first commissioner of baseball, oh my God, Mark's doing There's a sour a sexy pose. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, all right, I'll tell you what, guys, here's what we're going to do. You know how they say um, if you have a boner in public, think about baseball? Well, uh, ladies, uh, I, if you're ever having a moment where you need to you know, calm down a little bit, Google. Kennesaw Mountain Landis. Uh, he has the same effect that thinking about grandma. Will have <laughs> Fellas, if you need to last longer in bed, think about yeah. the uh, mountain. Yeah, think like about baseball out- during sex or think about the first commissioner of baseball during sex. <laughs> it's like if Alfred Pennyworth had a sex change. <laughs> and it was a really bad, bad butcher job. It's terrible. It became the next Batman villain. <laughs> Do not Google this man at the night cross alone. It's um, a great name, though. The name is fantastic. So he comes up as this is the first commissioner of baseball. Baseball's decided they need a commissioner to help clean things up right now. Then uh, Eddie Sycott gives uh, what's uh, known as a mea culpa, and he just goes – he finally breaks down during his testimony. He goes, uh, we, I mean I had a wife. You know, uh, we just – it was a lot of money, and I needed it, and I needed you know, to take care of my family. And, and he just confesses to everything, man. And 
They realize what's going on here. All the people that are involved, Chick Gandle goes down, uh, Swede goes down, Happy goes down. All these guys are saying that. They all get brought in for this. So now they wind up being acquitted. They're not found uh, to be in violation of any sort of a law here, which is crazy because baseball is still being operated as entertainment, kind of a sport thing. So there's certain regulations that don't apply to it. So that's why having a commissioner is now important because a commissioner is essentially the CEO of the company. All right, so the same way that Bud Selig would wind up becoming a, you know, a household name almost for being the commissioner of baseball here. I hope Joe Torre winds up being the commissioner of baseball one day because I just think he's the greatest guy ever. Now, is this when also like baseball started to become a little bit more big business where like merchandise was starting to oh, become it, the, this was, trickled in? It, like, would in, they sell jerseys? Well, yeah, not jerseys. You're you know, in like the baseball. essence of America's pastime right now. That oh, this is, is the golden age. It's right everything. Because you got Ruth is around. Uh, Garrick's coming, DiMaggio's coming. Uh, I mean, the big, I mean, the, the all the best stuff in baseball. Ken Burns is just starting his documentary at this point here, <laughs> and there's no television, so there's just radio, and so they so an actual play by play. That was, and, and this is what's crazy. If you watch the movie Eight Men Out, when they're doing all this. All these rich people in New York City that are waiting to find out if the fix is in are sitting in a room while a, a telegraph's coming in. It's like, do, 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 And the guy's <laughs> reading off of the tape. Chick Kendall fumbles the ball around. Stop. Single. <laughs> <laughs> I always wonder, too, if you could have, um, if they had autocorrect for... Uh, um, you know, telecommunications back then. That way. You're, getting a, you're getting a telegraph, and it's a uh, you know, or just sitting there reading out a telegraph on a thing. He goes, "It's um, it's uh, ah, oh, it's his dick. Oh goddamn it! <laughs> Somebody just drew a dick on there. This is unprofessional." But uh, Eddie Sycott admits to it. These guys, uh, they literally admit to what they did here. But one of the parts of the agreement is that when you're in bed with the mafia, like Arnold Rothstein is, and I say mafia, I'm talking about the Jewish mob in particular here. They were um, a mafia. Well, they go ahead and they uh, they make sure that things get organized a certain way, that all the paperwork indicting these guys disappears mysteriously. Wow. Okay. That is another great moment in that movie when they're like, <laughs> can you bring out the files? Sir, the files are missing. And all of Wait, a sudden the, the cameras are going off. All the files on all of the, the testimony of the guys, the proof of all the conspiracy. Everything For whose files, though? From the, the lawyers, from when they were in the court of law oh, to when okay. they were in front of the commissioner. All of a sudden, all those went missing. Same thing happened to – I'm reading a little bit about Buck Weaver. Same thing happened to his legal files, actually. It was all of those. He was involved was with that. All of them. Yeah. Wow. That. So all those Chicago guys were all tried together, by the way. So they were able to get up. Now, the legal expenses are footed by Comiskey, who just – he realizes right now what's going to happen here. So he just wants to have you know, a little bit of people. He might lose his team. Yeah, he some might people, lose his legacy. Yeah, some people are saying that he's providing the legal Kamensky? fees so that he could go ahead and try to keep um, you know, some sense of uh, respect for his team. He's trying to keep a core group of guys intact that are expected to win the World Series this year. Okay, so the guys actually get acquitted. They get they move on. Uh, you know, they're not. Uh, there's no legal charges that can come down from them on this one. Uh, Shoeless Joe's involved, but everybody admits during the testimony that Shoeless Joe was never at the meetings and that Shoeless Joe was an unwilling participant in the conspiracy. And he never actually took the money. The money was left in a hotel room. Yes. So he, if he was smart, he could have just said, "I never got a dollar." It was a weird thing where he's an honest country boy, That's the and problem. He, there's this fear that they're going to find out you're illiterate. And uh, do you really know what you're signing here? There's actually – you want to talk about fake news. There is a completely fake testimony from him where he admits to it. He admits to it. He goes, oh, well, as an outfielder, what I would do to help throw the game is I would catch the ball. Uh, you know, I'd make sure I ran really hard to catch the ball, but then I'd have a weak throw back into the infield. And that people are running with that. That's getting printed in newspapers as a quote attributed to Shoeless Joe. 
and it never happened. It's not real. All right, that's fake news. Literally got printed in there. That say it ain't so Joe moment that Mark was talking about, this is a fucking heartbreaker, man. Shoeless Joe is a hero in America. All right, that's proven to somebody. If you're a six-year-old boy working in the mill, if you just you you find, some, find something you're good at and you can be a hero across the country by swinging a fucking bat, all right? And uh, now this little kid's about – there's a whole scene that they dramatized. Uh, the first person said, say it ain't so, Joe. And then Joe looks at him and goes, I'm afraid it's so and walks away. Then the next journalist hears that and he goes, nah, it's a good story, but it's not that good of a story. It would have been better if it went this way. Yeah. What if a kid said it? Yeah. What if it was a little kid saying, say it ain't so, Joe. I'm afraid it's so, son. And then the kid looks real sad, right? Meanwhile, this shit never happened. All right? This never happened outside the courthouse. There's no scene that happened that way. And they literally used that to bury Shoeless Joe, who just wanted to get back to playing baseball because guess what? He ain't good at anything else. <laughs> can't read, can't write. But when I you put this bat in I heard in my he hand, was shit in the mill. That's <laughs> <laughs> when you put a bat in this guy's hand, he's amazing. All right? So all he wants to do is get back to baseball. These guys finally get acquitted over here. Buck Weaver wants to go back to being literally the best third baseman in all of baseball. And Eddie Sycott is sitting there like, I can't believe I did this. I really regret this. We never should have gotten in bed with the mob. And they all they want to do is have a chance for redemption. But because of this, they don't get any legal action against them. But Kennesaw Mountain Landis, the first commissioner of baseball, imposes a lifetime ban, a lifetime ban on all eight players. Joe, imagine imagine uh, that you're not allowed to do comedy anymore for the rest of your life. What the fuck are you going to do? Audiences will be back to the clubs. <laughs> Things will be... Oh, you make it like they were there for me to begin with. <laughs> Yeah, like it's just it, it is heartbreaking because like these guys they're grown men playing a boys game and it's every kid if you ever watch baseball as a kid you're like that would be the best job ever even as an adult I, I'll say this right now I've always said this when I watch like my teams or any sports teams when you watch these guys win a championship or a game and you watch the elation there's nothing that we do that can compare to that. You can have a great set, right? You have a great night. You're like, that was awesome. You're not high-fiving your pals after you're done. It doesn't matter how good you do. You can have a, a great uh, scene in a movie. We're not getting a flat champagne after the... <laughs> no, there's no celebration. You don't have that celebratory thing okay. that they have. And these guys lost that. And it was taken from them for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. No, it's a great point, too, man. And the other thing is, now imagine if there's a booker you don't like and you can intentionally bomb in front of him. It's fun to do in the moment, but you're going to regret it afterwards. And the guy says, you're never working here again. And I called this club and told him what you did. Right, I yeah. called that club and now told him what imagine, you did. Now imagine that you're getting banned from comedy forever because of Ken Krantz. <laughs> 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 if you're like, I wasn't in on the fix. I didn't bomb on purpose. Uh, we, we love you, Ken. We love you, Ken. Um, no. I had to bring it up because I stopped oh, no, on your joke earlier. <laughs> no, it's beautiful, man. It's uh, what winds up happening now. Unfortunately, there is a lifetime ban. These guys are not allowed to play baseball again. None of them. There's appeals left and right. None of them ever actually get a chance to play baseball again. And you can play in these other subsidiary leagues. But uh, it's major not the same. League, no. Yeah, yeah the major league is the done with league. you, and Which, that's the only people that really mattered. That was the because now, like I said, you're coming up on the Babe Ruth era. Lou Gehrig is playing the ball game. It's the the peak of baseball. Yeah, the greatest shit ever. The Ty Cobb is still playing. Are not yeah, and it's uh, it's insane that these guys are never allowed to play again. So Shoeless Joe never has another major league at bat. 
Okay, and when he leaves, he's at the absolute pinnacle of his career. And how much of a pinnacle it was, those records are still standing. Now he plays a little bit here and there. He manages a couple of teams in like South Carolina area. He actually winds up moving back down to South Carolina, and uh, he has a thing. Uh, he actually opens up Shoeless Joe's liquor store. All right, that makes sense. Yeah, he it does. Was a notorious drunk. Oh, sometimes I was Mike over there. Um, he was a notorious drunk. There he is. He's back. That smooth sounding <laughs> voice of Mark Rigadonna. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, he moves back down there and uh, opens up this liquor store with his wife. And uh, one of the guys that comes in one day, uh, and it's kind of a, a well-known story here because he was being followed around by a couple of journalists. So they get a lot of these stories wrong, but this story apparently is true. Ty Cobb and a journalist walk into Shoeless Joe's liquor store, and Shoeless Joe is behind the counter of his own liquor store. And Shoeless Joe sees him, doesn't respond to him at all. Ty Cobb walks around, buys something, walks up to the front. He goes, he goes Joe – it's Ty, don't you know me? And Joe goes, of course I know you, Ty, but a lot of people don't want to. He goes, it, it just broke my heart, man, because Shoeless Joe's like, I, I don't want to stain you with the, the thing I did, and he didn't even do the thing that he did. That's He thought his reputation was so bad that he would taint Ty Cobb by being in the same room as him. I mean, that just breaks your heart on that shit, man. You realize that he's actually just such a good person and that this whole thing is seeing the nightmare scenario of something horrible happening to a really good person. Yeah, I, I think it's like uh, when people, um, you put a nefarious intention in all it's this It's literally evil nice guys finish last. Yes. It's really, it's absolutely that. I don't want to rat on my friends, but I, I want to play the game at a high level and I want to do this, and we're only hurting a bad guy in Comiskey, right? But uh, Joe never plays another uh, game of meaningful Major League Baseball, and uh, he dies of a heart attack in 1951. Joe Jackson, uh, shoeless Joe, remains on the ineligible list. So Mo Rivera just got voted in unanimously and is going to go in, and he deserves to go, and that's the greatest closer of all time. But shoeless Joe, one of the greatest cornerstones to build this sport on, the guy whose swing influenced Babe Ruth, all right, the guy who was admired by Ty Cobb. This should be changed. They, they absolutely – their Bud Selig had put it under review when he was commissioner because the United States Senate, who I've got a lot of problems with um, – they actually went ahead and they're an impartial party who have lobbied to have him taken off the uh, ineligible list. Shoeless Joe deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. All right? That's the bottom line with him. Now, there's fantasies that they have about this guy. Now, he shows up in, uh, like you said, Eight Men Out. Fantastic movie. My mother and I watched that when I was very young. That's how I learned about it. When was this made? I never heard of it. Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, there's a lot of really great actors. I want to say it was in the 80s it was made. Yeah, late 80s, late 80s early 90s. 90s. John Cusack's in it? Buck Weaver plays Buck Weaver, who oh, was okay. my favorite on the uh, team. Oh, and how could he not be, man? I uh, actually played third base when I was in Little League because of that movie. No shit. I was like, I want to play whatever Buck Weaver did. He's third <laughs> base. That's what I want to be. <laughs> it's uh, I, I played first because I wanted to be like Don Mattingly, and then... Uh, and they moved me to right field. And I, I like, thought yeah. you wanted to be like Chick Gandle, and that's why you have a <laughs> betting problem. Uh, also true. And I get punched <laughs> in the face a lot. Uh, as recently as 2015, they've, they've tried to get this it, dude It's in still time. there, and it could happen. It truly could happen, man. I hope they do wind up fixing it on this We're going to start a GoFundMe because we, we want to get – No, no, we just want to get his bat. <laughs> <laughs> I would. It would be a great piece of memorabilia, man. Uh, the thing I wanted to talk about real quick is that just Shoeless Joe's – References in popular culture. Eight Men Out obviously talks about the scandal uh, in and of itself. Field of Dreams. Oh, uh, Ray Liotta. Field of Dreams. Ray Liotta plays Shoeless Joe. The whole point of Kevin Costner building the field is so Shoeless Joe can get – because his spirit is 
tormented in limbo, and he needs to come back and play baseball because that's what he was put on this earth to do. All right? Wow. And that gives you the goosebumps on that one, man. I got it. That's what Field of Dreams is actually about? Do you want to hear something even more fucked up? All right? This is a great reference here. This one um, this is one of my all-time favorite movies that, like, even as an adult, I get, like, weepy-eyed when I watch. Um, Steel Magnolias. It's very... <laughs> <laughs> The traveling pants movie. <laughs> oh, it's the uh, these uh, super ego IPAs, man. They're really doing something to us. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is what um, the movie The Natural. All right, uh, and you're sitting there. It's one of the with Robert Redford playing uh, uh, Roy Hobbs. Okay, now The Natural is this kind of a creepy. Uh, there's like a weird mysticism behind the movie where he comes out of nowhere. Right, it was a great novel too. They made it into one of the best films of all time. It's my favorite baseball movie, but. A lot of times people say, you look familiar. Don't I know you from somewhere? Because he's a guy who's an older guy that shows up, but he's just he's the natural. He can hit. You know, He's launching home runs left and right. He's an unstoppable hitting machine. Don't I know you from somewhere? Where, where were you playing, man? Weren't you playing somewhere for a while? And the whole story is crafted around the idea that it's what if Shoeless Joe came back and finally got the career that he deserved in his later life. So the Roy Hobbs character is completely based off Shoeless Joe. Because in the movie, he's sitting there and he goes up against uh, the Whammer, who was, uh, what did we say, it was Don um, uh, uh, Don Baker? It was the guy who played the Whammer, who's supposed to be Babe Ruth. And he's, oh, the, the Crusher, rather. I'm sorry, the Crusher, that he's hitting all these home runs. And then, uh, you know, Roy Hobbs shows up and just makes a fool out of him. But the whole thing is that that is, the natural was this guy's fantasy of, I wish my boyhood hero got a chance to be remembered, that, like how he deserved to be remembered, man. That's kind of what I think is going to happen to my comedy career. <laughs> I'm going to disappear, and then one of you guys are going to show up to a liquor store <laughs> in Pennsylvania and go, aren't you Mark Rigadonna? And I go, I don't want my stink to rub off on <laughs> Well, I do think this too, because I, I know I got emotional about The Natural uh, for a second there, but I do think that's the ultimate boyhood fantasy is for to write a movie where uh, your boyhood hero gets to live out his life. He's, he's a tragic hero, but now you remove the tragedy and he's just a hero again. And then you fuck Kim Basinger. Well, that works too. <laughs> the, uh, but the, uh, one of the things, though, is is uh, he never gets, because he passed away, he never gets his his moment. His due, yeah. And it, he it, was the first of the Chicago Eight to die, too, by the way. Really? Yes, he was the first one of them to die, and they all swore up until their deathbeds uh, that he had absolutely nothing to do with it. And Shoeless Joe maintained his innocence and tried to get back in baseball for 30 years after the scandal. Him and Buck Weaver both were a mm-hmm. constant fight to the end. Because they got done dirty. Yeah. That's what it was. And, and uh, Mr. Uh, Kennesaw Mountain Landis decided to say lifetime ban. Now, they credit him by saying that he's helped save baseball because the integrity of the sport was preserved. But uh, a blanket ban on all the guys. Make an exception, man. Put, let Shoeless Joe play again. They were making uh, they were making an example out of him because they figured you have to, you know, you have to cut the head off the snake. You can't just like you know get the tail, and because it was such a terror, it was such a, a a black spot on baseball that you couldn't just go. All right, you other guys, you're out. But you know the the you know the best guy or the most famous guy, we're gonna let. There was no way they were gonna they do were, that. Yeah. Were, he, if anything, he might have been the only. You know, maybe they would have made an example out of him. And he might have been the only one outed, and they would have let the other guys go. That could have been the only other case. If not, they were all going to get just whacked, and it was it was over. There was no possible way they were ever going to turn it no, around. So in high man. school, my nickname was The Example, because whenever <laughs> things went down, I was the one who always got punished. 
Now, is this a conspiracy? The Rickadonnas came to the United States in 1919. Now we're, oh, whoa, whoa, we're having an Alex Jones moment here. Drop the mic. Turn the freaking frogs gay. (laughs) (laughs) But no, man, uh, this has been phenomenal here. The the Shoeless Joe thing. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead and throw a Google out there for Shoeless Joe, guys. Uh, That's where it might show up in the news here. I just thought it was apropos to do this. We rushed this one episode because I wanted to get it out because uh, I just thought it was perfect with the topic of the uh, enshrinement, if you will, or the the Hall of Fame announcement coming out here. I've been wanting to have Mark Rigadon on the show for a long time. Mark, you've got to come back and do another episode. Anytime. All right, love having you. Mark, where can people find you here on social Uh, media? You can find me. Everything is markrigadonna.com, M-A-R-K-R-I-C-C-A-D-O-N-N-A. Excellent, man. All right. And uh, Joe, you got anything here? Joe Conti, one of my favorite people ever. You got to come back in for another episode too, man. Yeah, definitely. Talk to me. All right. Where can people find you on social media? It's uh, it's all Joe Conti comic. And uh, I do my uh, podcast every Monday night. I'm more like radio, Conti and Kenny show. We've been doing it since 1919, oddly enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's great. You guys used to yeah. do it on the wire. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we used to do Morse code. That's how we used to do our show. Yeah. When did you guys discontinue the Morse code stuff? <laughs> right. Uh, Last year. <laughs> yeah. Joe actually broke the story about the Say It Ain't So Joe thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was him who got it wrong. <laughs> He's the one who was uh, hitting the button when uh, he got hit by the pitch. <laughs> yeah, I always say we, start, we were doing... Uh, podcast before the term had been invented yet. That's right. That's how you long were doing we've been doing this radio. Internet radio, yeah. And we, we started on Rockland World Radio. Jesus, man, there were only two genders when you started that show. <laughs> Actually, there was only one gender. <laughs> <laughs> you can also check out Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling. That's the other podcast. I Please have do great to get podcast. you on. I'd love to, but I have you to know get that, both man. of you on. Um, no, that check out that oh, my man. fucking chop liver. Go support. Well, I, I, I would love to have <laughs> just, you on. Just kidding, man. Uh, me You're twenty three. You got a lot of time to get on podcast. Not gonna. <laughs> do me a favor and support Joe Conti. Support Mark Riccadonna. Uh Kahuna. Thank you so much, man. We appreciate Always, you man. buying the ones and twos. We went long again. Every time I'm like, we're gonna do an hour, and we do ninety minutes. It, at least, <laughs> it feels like nothing too, man. Because you're just hanging out with your friends, having a good time. Are we the running time of Field of Dreams? Nah, we're we're a little little off. We're not. This isn't heaven. It's Iowa. Um, <laughs> but, Record it, and they will come. Yeah, that's uh, that's my last point here, guys. Thank you so much for having us here, Mike Ming. You take great care of us here at a shared universe. Cahoons, thanks for everything you do, buddy. This is my new favorite episode. If you way. like, is it really? Yeah, uh, this gotta, is this is like like they the. Shoeless Joe and Buck Weaver rank so high on the scale for me on this episode. Like they are they're not sympathetic. Yeah, yeah, like now I feel bad that I said that stuff earlier. Like I feel bad, like genuinely bad for these dudes. Now nah, we'll come back with some true morons in the next couple weeks here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go so find the liquor store. I want so, to. Joe, you're coming on. back. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, think the liquor store is still uh, like you know maybe. Just almost like a like the like building a, there. It's a field yeah, of dreams like a, like for alcoholics. <laughs> <laughs> if you build it, Rickadonna will come. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> it didn't say Shoeless Joe's liquor store. It just had an X and it said liquor store on it. Oh so. my god! Well, let's let's Google it. No, nah, there's no way it's on there. No man. way. But hey, uh, I know we're gonna wrap up on time here, guys. If you like the show, do me a favor. Just like, subscribe, tell a friend about it. Uh, we're trying to build the show up here if we can. I operated a deficit every episode, but man, we have fun with this shit. So do me a favor. Leave me a review on iTunes. That shit helps out, all right? I got to pay the kahuna every time we do this. That being said, guys, this was Shoeless Joe Jackson and the Black Sox scandal. And this was American Loser. Thank you for listening. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born. 
Loser the day I was born.